today by a very special guest, friend of mine, Phil Johnson. Phil, how are you today? Very great. Doing well. Thanks, Will. Keeping busy. Phil is the head athletic trainer for the University of Michigan football team. Uh, with the student athletes not around, you you still able to stay busy? Looks like you got plenty of stuff going on there behind you. Yeah, I was going to say, it uh, feels like this has not been off time. Um, we've done a bunch of work trying to keep track of people and you know, using these cellular devices has been uh, quite the challenge, but guys in different time zones doing different things, but still a lot of things to keep track of. So been busy and then planning, obviously, for this whole hopefully return sooner than later to activities for the athletes has taken up a lot of time. The athletic trainer, Phil's role is really who the student athlete sees the most year round because there are uh, restrictions on on other staff members and so to have that relationship um, just go away or be severed because of the pandemic um, you know that could be a real loss so it's great that you're being able to, to touch base even you know across time zones and and so on thank you for doing that yeah yeah that is a, that's a great point too and it's just a change of schedule for guys right of uh, what they're normally used to and then take and send them back home and you know things get off a little bit so yeah being between the zoom and the you know, FaceTime and those different platforms have been great uh, in addition to telephone, but just seeing people and be able to connect a little bit better that way has been, it's been great. Definitely. And just one more on that note, you mentioned, you know, routine and, um, you know, having a schedule and there's, there's not much more regimented routine and schedule than when the athletes are on campus. Um, one thing that was cool, you know, what way back when I was an athlete and playing was realizing, um, really what that routine sort of amounted to and that it wasn't just you know do this now and do this now and do this now but how it all added up to performing in our case uh, on Saturdays and so one takeaway that I'm hoping one positive that can come out of this is student athletes who are used to being so regimented um, and so regulated often by that schedule that they can maybe take a look at the recipe that goes into you know their days, how they're feeling, how they're performing when it's not scheduled for them, when it's more on their own. Um, have you heard uh, anything, you know, in that regard or experienced anything in that regard with, with respect to, you know, regulation and, and schedule and routine and, and losing those things a little bit during this time? Right. And I think that, you know, that started younger and younger these days in the life of an athlete of just everything is given to them or organized for them. But I think, uh, you know, the guys being able to be autonomous here in this last two months, I, I agree. I think it's going to be pretty valuable. And it seems like most of these guys, as you touch base, you know, they've still had their online classes. They've still had some things that uh, provide some structure to the day. But they've also been able to, you know, coordinate when their workout time is or when they can get that in or when they want to do it, you know, based on how they're feeling. So I agree. I think it's going to be it's a, a great period of time for them to realize that not everything has to be handed to you like that. And, you know, you can, you can base things on how you're doing or how you're feeling and it's okay to take a day off, you know, and, yeah, and to build so, some in doing that. Yes. Right. So yeah. uh, you mentioned staying in touch and using those devices. Let's go back to a time before 
those devices existed and, and before uh, a lot of the technology we rely on existed. Back to, to your roots and your training. Um, obviously, you got into athletic training. Um, was it something you were always interested in? Uh, talk to us a little bit about your journey into the field. Yeah, it's always great looking back and just the people that you come across and how you get to where, you, where you've gotten. Um, uh, so I grew up in Iowa, small farm town in Iowa, northwest Iowa, Akron, Iowa, shout out. Um, and ended up, uh, you know, high school athlete, loved sports and loved uh, anatomy. Yeah, I was really into anatomy, weirdly enough, of, uh, would pick up anatomy books and just kind of enthralled by all that stuff and science and math did well at. So I was a senior in high school and we had this guy and again, uh, 1500 kids in my entire entire town. I'm sorry, 1500 people, 48 kids in my graduating class. So we played all the sports and, you know, both ways playing football and that kind of thing. So my senior year, we had a guy that started showing up, this athletic trainer, you know, had never heard of such a thing. And uh, he would see our little ankle sprains or our jam fingers and, you know, hurt muscles or bruises. And uh, it just kind of yeah, piqued my interest. So I started uh, just started following him, observing him. And that kind of led me uh, to pursue athletic training, and I ended up at the University of Iowa uh, for undergrad, and just went through the whole program there. And yeah, every day was just this is great, this is great. I love this more and more each time. And I start off pre med, and then kind of you know enjoyed college, and kind of just started pursuing more of the athletic training uh, part of it. But yeah, you talk about pre cell phones. I remember graduating from Iowa, and they said, hey, we've got this this new thing coming out, and you know, and this was 1997. And if you want to use it, yeah, yeah. So if you want to use this, we'll have this email account. You know, and we had just gotten gotten going with the cell phones. We're like, why would I ever email somebody? I can call them. You know, so I was like, I don't need an email account. <laughs> so ended up, I went to grad school for the next two years at Penn State. Um, interesting routes to get to Penn State. You know, and uh, but stayed in the Big Ten, there in the Big Ten at that time. It wasn't that long ago. And then, uh, but a great two years there and great people to Iowa, you know, just looking back at how they helped you develop as a, as a person and great people at Penn State, exactly what I needed, a little more structure, a little more discipline uh, for that section of time and just learning. Um, and then ended up doing internship at uh, the New York Jets. Um, was out there for a little over a year. Again, great people there and just seeing that environment and, and kind of the, the difference in levels. And then, yeah, got married, didn't have a job. Uh, so I'm sure father-in-law loved that one. And then uh, landed on my feet. I would say I landed my feet here at Michigan in the year of 2000, August of 2000. So uh, hired here and yeah, it's just been, there's great people here, hard to leave, had, had some various opportunities to look at, but uh, very hard place to leave with the, you know, the doctors that are here, the staff. Um, there's been a lot of changes at football here in my time, but uh, that has been that has been educational also. I mean, there's been some up and downs, but it's amazing how much you learn in those down times, right? And you've kind of seen that. Uh, it is cool to to think that you've you know sort of been different places in the Big Ten and seen how things are done and. I can speak, you know, personal experience, you do seem uniquely cut out for the profession. And so um, I'm glad you found something that's such a fit for you. You mentioned the changes 
during the time that you've been in the profession, um, both for you geographically, but also uh, in terms of the things that you guys pay attention to, mental health. Um, I'm sure at some point, you know, it probably wasn't even considered or covered in curriculum um, to, you know, concussions becoming a big deal. Can you just talk about the things that come to mind for you when you think about the progression of athletic training and, and within athletic medicine during your time in the field? Yeah, I mean, I think when I started, it was kind of considered this, uh, you know, you provide the water at practice and do the stretching and taping, almost like uh, lumped in with equipment manager, kind of just part of a, a program. And there wasn't a whole lot of uh, respect as far as the medical side of things went. Uh, that's changed a lot. I mean, I think the curriculums that we learn from and just the education we get now encompasses a lot more of that. Um, and people pay way more attention to it, um, being more of an allied healthcare profession, which it is. Uh, so that's that's been great. And I, yeah, a ton of change. I mean, when I was in school, we didn't even talk about high ankle sprains. Uh, really? You know, since I've, I've since I've been at Michigan, concussion has always been emphasized and handled pretty well. Even when Dr. Henderson was here, we had a pretty good program, which has obviously gotten a little more uh, sensitive, I would say. Um, yeah, no question. But hasn't hasn't changed dr drastically. I think the guy the guys that have had head injuries here and the mild, mild traumatic brain stuff has has been handled pretty well that entire time. But you mentioned mental health; that has changed a lot, right? I mean, just across athletics, not only with with just within football, that's become a a, a much more emphasized thing, and rightfully so. I mean, at, at a perfect time in a in a young young man or young ladies maturity uh, maturation where they're trying to figure out things and you know a lot of them don't even know what anxiety is they hear anxiety sure, but they, sure. they don't identify themselves as being anxious you know and just those little things of helping helping people kind of identify that and understand that oh it's okay to have anxiety but here's some things that you can do to kind of help deal with those uh, right make it adaptive positively i mean i know i yes. didn't know what anxiety was as a freshman uh, you know, right. at Michigan, and clearly I've learned since, you know, a highly anxious person, but ways to use that positively, adaptively, uh, right. rather than have it derail you, which you mentioned the time period you're dealing with, the 17, 18 to 22, 23, you know, all the ingredients are there to destabilize anybody mentally, right? No changes in day-to-day -day routine, changes in support systems and sleep and nutrition, and so right. just paying attention to it, I remember it feeling, you know, almost like I had a cheat code once I learned and, and got, you know, really great treatment and therapy through U of M. In my mind, I was actively training it like I was my body. It was kind of like, oh, you know, no wonder it's all clicking. So I'm, no glad to, uh, I'm glad to hear that, you know, you've seen the progression and how things have changed. But also the thing I hope that, more leaders in the athletic community understand is, yes, of course, it's the right thing to do. We know that just like fixing somebody's ACL is the right thing to do if it tears. Um, but it's also the smart thing to do to invest in their mental health and no not just reactively, but proactively, right? We do injury prevention. We do all sorts of things in order to limit the risk or the probability of missing time, getting hurt, not being able to perform. And right. you know, I think John Beeline said it best when he said, well, 
if I'm going to ask a group of people to perform at a certain time, then their whole body needs to work at that time, including this part. And so it's yeah. also a competitive advantage in maybe not just my opinion, but people who actually are, you know, elite champions like LeBron and Russell Wilson. So I'm curious, uh, just your, your reflections on that and, and mental health as a, something proactive and potentially uh, used as an advantage. Yeah, no doubt. I was going to say that, I mean, those are great examples. And there's, there's been that stigma, all oh, mental health and, uh, you know, the clinical side of it. But I think these days you're able to reach out and uh, involve more people through the performance side of it, right? Of, of just getting guys to and gals to identify, oh, these are stressors that I can do these things and do better with. Or sometimes, I mean, even for myself, I mean, you, you, you get through some of the mindfulness and, and some of the different uh, uh, educational things and techniques you learn and just, just breathing, right? Of just relaxation breathing. I mean, I, you know, I'm an anxious guy and I got to go talk to Coach Harbaugh about something that I know is he's not going to be happy about. Uh, that can make me anxious. So, all right, just breathe. Just you know. that calm app for a few seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out calm. But yeah, I mean, there's a, uh, uh, there's a lot of those things that I think, you know, and I, and I wish as a younger guy, I would have known about, you know, and just no emotional question. intelligence and just things that uh, just help you down the road succeed more than you would. But I, I do agree. Yeah. The performance side of things and the more that the professional, highly successful uh, individuals have been involved with that stuff has opened guys eyes up to, Oh, you know, this isn't just sports psych, you know, for lack of a better term, crazy stuff, you know, so. Sure. Uh, the misperceptions that are out there. Yes, right, but a lot of misperceptions. So a, a few years ago, uh, the NATA, the National Athletic Trainers Association, um, came out and essentially, uh, you know, there's a, a paper released, a document released, but also guidelines released as far as you guys's, that is athletic trainers, you guys' role in student athlete mental health care um, you mentioned earlier talking about a little bit about collaboration and integrated care. And can you just talk about the role of the athletic trainer, you know, in your eyes, um, in terms of a student athlete's well-being, and then, you know, being able to collaborate with other professionals, um, other caretakers at University of Michigan, in your case, uh, in order to best serve the student athlete? Right. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm not a mental health professional. I, I kind of consider myself a a mental health assistant you know I, you know we do we do a lot of things but i'm not a, a a specialist in mental health by any means but i'm a strong observer i'm a i'm probably an expert observer of just guys in this age group and kind of how what how they're doing uh but we've got a great group of people here and as athletic trainers that's kind of where we fit in on the front line of uh just helping identify things paying attention you know mood changes you know just this guy's acting a little different or also understanding the stresses that these guys are under um which is relatively extreme uh day to day so um and sometimes you identify some illnesses you know of, that are really based off a of lack of sleep and then the lack of sleep really exacerbates some other problems so to identify that stuff early on is really helpful and we've had it you know since i've been here uh, since 2000, there's been a pretty strong program relative to the nation in athletics. And that, you know, that started with Greg Harden um, and, and the great Barb Hansen, who you're aware of, 
Uh, now oh, Abigail, I, yeah, and now Abigail Eiler and her her uh, staff of people have, have really expanded it. And you know, I'm, I'm taking a pot shot here, but I, I would I would assume or kind of guess there's probably about 30 percent of the athletes that just individually touch base with with that uh, department throughout their time here, and let alone just their impact for team training and that kind of stuff uh, in the sports psych world. So very prevalent now. I think some of that stigma stuff, and, and you've been a great help with that too. I mean, the videos you had done and, and your experience here was was uh, being put out there has helped a lot also. Just, hey, this isn't a bad thing. This can be very beneficial. No, I mean, in fact, when I hear the 30%, I think to myself, well, what if only 30% of our guys were going to the weight room, guys and gals, right? Right. And right. so you want to derive those benefits. Yep. Yeah, and I think I think their team, the team environment. Sometimes they can do those team talks, and that that touches everybody. That I think then kind of brings in the people too. And you know, the clinical side of it, that's a whole nother deal. That Michigan sure. Medicine that is, has great resources, um, and we do deal with that a little less in athletics. But uh, you know, at the level we're at, you know, this has been a really good setup, just to help the athletes as a resource. Yeah, and, and you bring up something that I think is critical I wanna highlight is that you said, and you know that you are not the mental health professional in the sense that it's you're not tasked with and it's not your job to do the counseling, um, just like you know Abigail or Greg um, wouldn't do the treatment on the individual for an injury, but right. if it were something that were affecting them and, and came up, they would refer the student athlete to you guys right, to get well. And um, for those who are unfamiliar with my story, it was uh, Phil's counterpart, Lenny, who saw me struggling uh, when I was at practice and, and really near a breakdown and just frankly came and put his arm around me and, and said, come with me, you'll be okay, we're gonna take care of you. And, you know, walked me, and we talk about a warm handoff in mental health, um, when you walk them to the professional's office, in that case, it was Barb's office, Barb Hansen, um, right. But having an athletic trainer know that here's where my role ends. I don't have to, you know, do the therapy. I don't have to figure out the whole situation, but I am with them every day. I am aware of the stresses that they're under. And so whether it's a trainer or a coach or an academic support person, um, yep. I think that's a model we're moving to is making sure everyone knows their exact role in the protocol um, and where that ends so they don't feel an undue burden or that they're tasked with something they're not trained to do. Exactly, no doubt. And that's, that's a great word to use as refer. Uh, Dr. Rafat and the, the physicians here now, I mean, it is really collaborative of, you know, as long as consent from the student athlete, uh, it is, uh, you know, get them in a, a comfortable bubble and take care of whatever issues they may have. Um, so they, you know, because at the end of the day, they, they want to perform their best not only on the field, but in the classroom. And, you know, some of that's a big thing too, is just to, you know, get over some of that test anxiety or some of those things that can be a roadblock in that part of the university also. So yeah, great resource overall. Definitely. Well, Phil, we've hit on uh, a lot of the, the meat and potatoes, so to speak, of, of this interview, but time to get to a couple fun questions. Uh, is that all right? Uh -oh. Okay. Don't mean to put you on the spot, but uh, we wanted to ask, you know, you've seen a lot of feet over the years. Uh, for oh, those man. not aware, part of the observation Phil's talking about and spending time with guys is uh, 
while we're all getting our feet taped and we say a lot of dumb things and the athletic trainers act like they're not listening, but they really just take it all in and as you've heard, use it to put it to good use to get us the help that we need. But they spend countless hours taping ankles. And uh, over time, you've seen probably a couple of nice feet and maybe some not so nice feet. So the question is, who has the worst feet that you've ever had to tape? Oh, I don't, I don't know if I should, I don't know if I should throw your names out there without consent, but we had a pretty speedy quarterback here a couple of years ago that his toenails got a little, they were a little ragged. I think we started calling those eagle talons and kind of helped him with his speed. <laughs> but there's been some doozies, you know, as athletes, you know, I think any performance, you know, I got a daughter that's in the ballet now that, you know, your feet can take a beating and, and toenails and the toes, whoo, there's some that get, get a little rough. But I mean, fortunately for us, we've had some some considerate guys that don't come in with the uh, just straight sock rot feet going on. Oh, man. Yeah, wash your feet, you guys. I feel like I was usually pretty good, but the cold tub doesn't do it. Just a service announcement. The cold tub itself doesn't do it. I, uh, Ezron learned that the hard way after I got my feet taped. Uh, I thought it was good after the cold tub. So take care of your feet, you guys. Give these guys a break. We usually like to provide some feedback if there's any issues. So Yeah, constructively. That's uh, right. Okay. And we've got one uh, audience question. This comes from a legend. Uh, goes by Paul in Celine. And uh, Paul is somebody you would want taping your ankles, but perhaps not recording your score in golf uh, if you were playing with him. Paul asks, Phil, if we replaced Tom Brady and Peyton Manning with you and Lenny for the Phil and Tiger pairings, what would be the pairings and who would win? I think uh, by handicap, you'd have to put me with Phil. So the, the Phil's, Phil squared would take on Tiger and Lenny. And I, I, think, I think the Phil's would take that one. You know, Tom, Tom struggled early on with Phil. He, he came back strong though. You know, as Tom always does, but uh, I think I would have held up my own uh, against Lenny and Tiger. Well, Phil, we uh, thank you so much for your time. I wanted to see if there's any last words of wisdom or, or statements or, uh, yeah, just, just words to the wise you want to share with the people. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, go blue as always and, uh, you know, take care of yourselves out there. Yeah, this this whole COVID time, I mean, hopefully people have taken advantage and, uh you know, a few years ago, I got into some of the stoicism and, you know, some different philosophy and mindset things from that angle. And, you know, whenever you get these times of adversity, it's always, it's always beneficial. Take a step back, uh, look at the positive, find the opportunities that maybe you, you didn't have before and uh, attack those. You know, I think there's always opportunity adversity and that's a, it's a big thing you see on the football field and within the football program. So, uh, always a good lesson. No question. I think if I summed it up, you know, the, the thing that I took from U of M more than anything is how to take adversity and then adapt accordingly. And it was such an empowering feeling because it wasn't, I know everything about everything. It was whatever I want to try, I can. And if there's something I don't know or that gives me trouble, I know who to ask. So Yeah, a lot of resources. It's a great place for that, no doubt. No question. Well, thank you for being one of the elite ones uh, within that group and look forward to checking in with you, whether it's on the course or uh, episode two here. But this has been the Mental Minute with Michigan Medicine and Phil Johnson.